This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. By now, we have probably all heard clips from the very touching memorials marking the one-year anniversary of the Danforth shooting that killed a young woman and a young girl and injured 13 others. The event has made an indelible mark on the city, especially residents of the vibrant Danforth neighborhood. Police have said the motive was inconclusive, though the shooter had a history of mental illness. Where does that leave us? So we want to hear from you. Numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And for one thing, a majority of Torontonians are in favor of a complete handgun ban in the city. Uh, right now, we are going to go to William Shatton, who's the Vice President for Research and Analytics at Forum Research, and Ross McLean, terrorism and security expert. Welcome to you both. Thanks for joining us. Good day. Hi, Libby. Uh, let's start with you, William. This was based on the results of a poll of nearly 1,200 people in Toronto. What did you find? Yeah, that's right. So we surveyed uh, in Toronto at uh, the first week of July. And uh, as you mentioned, we surveyed just under 1,200 individuals. And uh, the majority of Torontonians felt that 62% felt that a handgun ban would reduce the number of shootings committed by gangs in Toronto. Uh, 38% said it would not. And as I said, the majority kind of across the board felt that it would to varying degrees when you kind of break it out by different factors. Uh, however, it's only when you kind of look at uh, political parties that you start to see a divide um, along kind of traditional party lines. And you see that uh, kind of conservatives, those who identify and vote with conservatives, as well as the People's Party of Canada, uh, are less likely to support uh, the handgun ban or think that it will have less impact on a number of shootings, whereas Liberal and NDPers uh, are way more supportive of the handgun ban. I think it will have a larger impact uh, in the city. And why did you specifically ask about gang-related shootings? Yeah, so the question specifically was, is, uh, would a handgun ban reduce the number of shootings committed by gangs in Toronto? Um, all right, so it is uh, connecting both of those two elements, uh, the handgun ban as well as uh, tying in the, um, the gang element as well. Uh, let's bring in Ross McLean and Ross, the police have said that the motive was inconclusive. The shooter had a history of mental illness. Uh, we saw that he visited some ISIS sites. Uh, what do you make of that? Uh, well, in, in short, Libby, it's, it's inconclusive because it was written as an inconclusive report. If one was to go over that entire report, all it is is a, is a list of evidence with no real analysis into it and no real follow-up on some of the more serious questions that are in it. Uh, but from my point of view, the number of red flags that line up that match with, uh, with uh, jihadi terrorist-type occurrences are overwhelming. The numbers that line up with mental illness are very, very, very little. So the, the report is inconclusive because I don't think it wanted to draw a conclusion, which I, which I think uh, one has to wonder if there's a political uh, reason behind that, not wanting to be able to call it for what it is. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, in the in the past, there haven't been any others where uh, that seemed to be politically motivated, where there were uh, clear jihadi connections. We've heard about those. No, that's not true, actually. The shooting on Parliament Hill was not called terrorism for quite a long period of time. The killing of the running over of the servicemen by the car uh, in Mon- uh, near Montreal was not called terrorism. We uh, well, had- for a little bit, but then it was. Sorry? It, it, maybe maybe initially it wasn't, but um, everything I heard about those shootings was that it was, uh, you know, one of those lone wolf, um, you know, uh, extreme uh, extremist shootings. Yeah, that's not what you heard from the government for the longest period of time. And, you know, the issue still goes on where we've seen where the government's uh, report on terrorism, they've removed names of groups and things and weakened things on the report on terrorism uh, that's taken place. So all I'm saying is, as I look at it, I certainly see clearly stuff that needs to be investigated, uh, conclusions that should be uh, looked at and followed up on, but they're not being done. Um, so I, I think it's something that as people look at this sort of thing, as as your other guest said, that these things go down the go down political lines sometimes for dealing with them. And I think if you're concerned about terrorism, you have to look at how that's going to be dealt with by whichever government in the future. Uh, there was another aspect of this that was interesting, and that is that the brother of the gunman was arrested for for having some kind of cache of of illegal weapons, gang related, I think. And he had enough carfentanol to kill just about everybody in North America. There was uh, guns that were going on, gang activity. Uh, there's there's lots and lots of red flags that are associated with this with this person. Uh, not to mention the the obvious ones of his travel to Pakistan uh, within a couple of years just before. And uh, none of these things have been followed up in in the report that was put out by the police. They say that the report is still open, but they're they're not able to draw any conclusions. But I, I just see it really as a very a uh, weak listing of what their activities were without any real analysis or, or deep diving on the key points, in my point of view. Uh, William Shatton, you did specifically look at gangs in this poll, but do you have any indication of how an event like the Danforth shooting and then there was also the van killing make people uh, change their opinions or come up more strongly in favor of a handgun ban? Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. So, I mean, we've seen this in the past, and you know, maybe I'll, I'll point to some other kind of international examples, right? But um, you know, Australia had came out with very very restrictive uh, gun laws after they experienced a uh, the Port Arthur massacre, it's called, in 1996, and then uh, more recently uh, with New Zealand um, as well, right? And how they quickly moved to implement uh, tighter gun restrictions after uh, their recent uh, shooting, the mosque. Uh, church shooting in Christchurch. So there typically does tend to be uh, kind of a, a larger push, um, you know, for gun reg- like legislation after an event like this occurs. Um, so it's possible that uh, right now, this is coming up to the, uh, what we surveyed, it was uh, the one year, close to the one year anniversary of the Danforth case. Uh, you know, so this could be kind of emphasizing people to be a little more uh, restrictive with their um, kind of gun policies and kind of uh, playing on that, um, you know, recent massacre. Yeah, you know, Libby, I, I'd like to say one thing here. When it comes to this, uh, the issues of guns and murders and criminal gangs and terrorism, I don't understand why we have a political divide in this country on dealing with gangsters who murder 
women, children, other people, innocent people, those sort of things, or terrorists who go overseas to commit murders, heinous uh, human rights violations in return, and terrorists who conduct problems here. I don't know why there is a divide on this, but let, let me say this. The question that was asked in this poll was a question that was very, quite frankly, leans with what the Liberal Party wants, would you, would you support a ban on this? There wasn't a secondary question that would say, would you support five-year minimum sentences for criminal gangs, uh, gangsters who are carrying around illegal firearms? Right. So here, here we've got a problem where we're, we're going to play this as a political game. Meanwhile, uh, terrorism, I think, is a serious issue that should go beyond parties. And gangs murdering people is something that goes beyond being parties. But it is very much being played as a political football, which I really don't think it should be that way. What are the minimum sentences now or what are the average sentences? Do you know? Well, the the biggest one was there was a minimum sentence brought in that was brought in by the uh, conservative government that if you had an illegal handgun, you'd do a minimum of three years on first offense, five years on the second offense. That was brought in in 2012. 2013, you saw a, a, a plummet and the low point for shootings, murders, and homicides across Canada for it. Then an appeals court decided that that was cruel and unusual punishment, activists, Ontario judges. It went, and as soon as that happened, the police stopped laying that charge. The Supreme Court eventually threw it out based on the fact they said, well, what if some regular citizen had their gun and their permit just expired and it was in their trunk? Then we'd have to give them three years and that wouldn't be unfair, so we're throwing the whole law out. They made up a hypothetical case. They didn't allow the government to restructure the law or deal for such a, a ludicrous event. And since that time, shootings, homicides have just skyrocketed because the bad guys know there is no real penalty that they're going to pay for doing it. Well, what is the average sentence now? I guess we have to, uh, I don't know the answer to that. Well, I, I don't have those answers in front of me too, but I will tell you this. They're, they're absolutely minimal as far as I can tell. They're nowhere near the three-year minimums. And, uh, and this is the sort of thing I think that we need to be looking at. Okay, let's uh, take a call from Brian in East York. Hi, Brian. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm excellent. Listen, I, ha- I have a suggestion, and I-, I already told you the fellow I was talking to, it probably makes too much, uh, too much sense, but I'm going to suggest it anyway. Instead of banning the guns, the simplest and easiest thing to do is to ban the buying of the ammunition. And or go one step further and make the only place you can buy the ammunition is off of the police station. Ergo, the police officer knows exactly what kind of weapon you have, what caliber it is and everything else. He can check if you have a license, if it's legal or not. And you won't have to worry about banning the guns. There'll just be a, a bunch of useless pieces of metal laying in a drawer doing nothing and cannot harm anyone. Okay, Brian, uh, not sure how practical that is. I am on the line with Ross McLean and William Shatton. And Ross, did the police ever say for sure where his gun came from? I believe they traced it back to a robbery from someplace in Saskatoon when he was out there with his brother at some point. <clears throat> but that's about it. We have we got no uh, no follow up on where the magazines came from, where the bullets came from, where he learned how to shoot the gun like that, where he practiced shooting the gun like that, or as I say on his trip to Pakistan, what he did there, who he was there with, uh, what parts of Pakistan he went to. 
Uh, nothing on that. We have ISIS claiming it as their event of the year uh, for the shootings. Uh, the police and, this, and, the, and the government has put that off as saying, well, yeah, but there's no proof of that uh, for doing it. So I, I think there's questions that need to be answered better. And, you know, normally when you do an investigation, just in general, there's, you can have evidence that can include someone as a suspect and of doing something. You can also have evidence that will exclude someone from uh, certain motivations or certain things. But we certainly have an seen anything that excludes that at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's uh, really quite interesting. Let us go to Marion Burlington. Hi, Mary. Hi, how are you today, Libby? Fine, how are you? Oh, not too bad, thank you. Libby, I'm going to be brief, eh? Hearing uh, what's going on. Hatred is hatred, period. Mental illness is mental illness, period. Let us stop being politically correct and call a spade a spade. The term human rights is being misinterpreted and more than that abused. Capital punishment should be brought back for certain crimes. The Kingston Penitentiary should be brought back for the proper incarceration of criminals, especially murderers. The justice system needs to be dismantled and redone. Okay, well, that sounds all pretty radical. Mary, thanks for your call. Uh, Yeah, um, so those are uh, things that I would say are not very likely to happen, Ross, um, does do Toronto police have a, a unit that specifically deals with terrorism? Because I think that's mostly done at the federal level. No, they have they have uh, the intelligence squad. Everybody else, they work very closely together. It's what's called the inset team. They work all the way across Canada, and they're very well tied together. Just just a comment though on uh, on the that last caller for what she suggested. I think you'll find that there is a desire that people are wondering how we got to this place where we are with our justice system uh, in Canada and how it is that murderers can get in around, turned around, catch and release and let go. You know, and I think one of the issues we have to look at that people we don't really question here in this country because uh, we like to think our institutions are looking after us. But the way that we appoint judges and the way that judges uh, work in this country, it's very much is the statements you hear out of the states about activist judges. Most of the law changes, major law changes that we've seen, have come across because of judges ruling on the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and that's how we've arrived at much of our what appears to be our legislation, rather than what the people vote for and what the people want to legislate. It's almost like we've given up the power of legislation uh, to unelected, appointed-for-life uh, judges. And that's some of the frustration I think you hear from people, wondering why we are where we are. Well, that's, that's again, a, a very big uh, political uh, conversation. Let's hear from Sarah in Toronto. Hi, Sarah. Oh, hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? Fine, thank you. Go ahead. You're on the air. Oh, good. Well, I, let's start right there with making things a political situation. I think one of the largest issues we've had in addressing anything authentically in Canada is because we've fallen into electioneering. We stopped learning to cooperate and work together on the ab- absolute issues. And then we just spend our time like in oppositional politics, which we already 
determined to be faulty in the 70s, you know, like we're still doing the oppositional thing and we're trying to work a way towards that so we can see some of these issues clearer. But you think everything to that, is too partisan sorry. then? Say it again? You think everything is too partisan? Yes, I think we have to look at it at the holistic level, at the cultural level, and recognize the elements individually. First of all, every situation is a case-by-case scenario, and our court systems are funded because in every case, they uphold the letter of the law to the highest degree of integrity. But, and it's been my experience, I've seen it over and over again, we still have an outdated culture of elitism in Canada, and people play off those fears, number one. And it's because people are now, like, politicians, police, they are coming across and just getting away with, like, blatant um, terrorism. As a matter of fact, we've just seen two huge operations get pulled off our streets in the last little while, like um, organizations. Okay, Sarah, I'm, Sarah, I'm going to have to, uh, we, we are out of time. Thanks for your call. Not sure what you were getting at there at the end, but we do have to wrap things up. William Shatton, what would you like to leave us with very quickly? Yeah, I mean, uh, it'll be interesting to see going into the election, like uh, Sarah was mentioning there, um, kind of if this topic comes up in the debate between, uh, you know, some of the political parties and the political leaders as we get onto the campaign trail. So interesting to, to keep an eye out as this, uh, as this election campaign ramps up. And, and Ross, do you think that we will hear anything further official about this shooting? I, I don't. I don't think we're going to hear anything more unless something comes up from some other operation somewhere else that shines light on it for it to be revisited. But I, I do agree that people have to educate themselves on the issues, talk to their MPs, MPPs, and figure out how we're going to manage uh, terrorism and murderers. I, I don't think there should be party problems on that, but there is. Okay. Both of you, thank you so much for being with us, Ross McLean and William Shatton. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.